how people actually started getting momentum in skill development could be debated. You know, but the real growth in any skill comes through a process of people getting momentum. So how do you usually get momentum in things? Are there any areas in our life where we just have momentum? No. There always has to be something where you could find you were getting real traction, taking step after step after step, improving, solid step followed by solid step. Welcome to another episode of The Golden Hour. This is Rashad here with Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, it's good to be here with you again. Hey, Rashad, great to be back. Great to have you back. It's been a little while since you and I have recorded an episode. Yeah, I know. I've been looking forward to this. So it's good to be back. Well, Kevin, as always, we've received some wonderful feedback and some great questions from some of our masterclass users. You and I were talking beforehand about one of them in particular. So why don't we get started? Uh, I will read this item of feedback. It's a little lengthy, but it's very rich. And then I'll turn it over to you. How does that sound? Sounds great. Great. All right, I'll begin. This has been a best practice that has been on my mind in recent weeks. What does optimal work have to say about strengths? There was a mention of strengths in the tutorial for today, and I remembered a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks back. We discussed how optimal work's approach may be similar to or different from the Clifton Strengths Finder. Then, a week ago, I was talking to my mother-in-law about optimal work, and I was trying to understand how strengths, according to Pat Lencioni and The Working Genius, may be considered labels. It was interesting to consider how optimal work's approach may be applicable to strengths as well, or am I missing something? Of course, I know that some of my colleagues, family, and friends do well at things that I struggle to do, but I didn't know how our family lives and working lives figured into these trajectories of growth, while also holding in mind the ways we are strong. Of course, I understand that the concern with labels doesn't open people to growth and that we need to continue to see how we can challenge ourselves and grow regardless of what we face. Parenthetically, we don't want to create self-fulfilling prophecies after all. But what ways do strengths figure into our understanding of those we have close bonds with and how that may be a way to inspire creativity in other areas where they may struggle? Is that the main goal, knowing their strengths and helping them see how they can apply some of their creativity in those areas to other areas that may be difficult for them? So that was the, the end of the question. It is very loaded. Yeah, very rich. <laughs> yes. And I came to expect it from this participant in the masterclass who had very good comments always. And it was always fascinating to see. And I had done the the strengths finder, the Clifton Gallup Strengths Finder 2.0, or you know, I did it a long time ago when it was, I don't know, point two. Uh, so I did an old version of it, but um, I hadn't ever until he mentioned it gotten into uh, the 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 working genius model. So Patrick Lencioni, and um, it's a very fascinating look at strengths. But the fundamental thing that I'd say to lead with is. What the way Lencioni defines um, these these strengths that people have that they're actually skills. Okay, so I think that's a that's a crucial point. They're skills that the people had gotten practice with in the past, and had somehow identified themselves most with, to the point where these exercising these skills came to give them joy and energy. 
the skills are never presented in in some of the, in these models as something that people are just born with, right? Or like some kind of permanent trait. So that's what I like. That just to say that the surface level, I like of thinking. I like thinking about strengths as skills, and that's what that's what this model does. So that's interesting because I I'm also you know mildly familiar with these different assessments. And I actually never thought of it in that way. I had always thought of them as as labels. But what you're saying is that implicit in these strengths is sort of the background development of skills that got the respondent to a point where they're experiencing some level of joy and satisfaction in the exercise of those skills. And so then it's labeled as a strength or seen as a strength. Is that's how is that right? Yes. And so what Lensoni did is they they looked at what does it take to bring some project through the stage of coming up with it. So the creative stage, and then the stage of crafting and improving it, until finally the stage of completing it. And so you have these three stages that every work has to go through, creation, crafting, and completing. So, And people develop certain skills in these areas where they loved some aspect of, of it. And what he said in their research, which now they have this thing you can... I think it's workinggeniuses.com or workinggenius.com. You can take the test for $25. The It's very interesting. And then you can see what does it tell you about yourself and where your preferred mode of working is. And so, you know, for um, for me, I am half divided between creating and crafting. So, you know, and so I, I'm, I'm not like, so maybe, maybe we should go through and like list for our, our listeners, what it is that the, how, how it all breaks down. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I have them right here. Do you want me to read them very quickly? Sure. Uh, yeah. I see there's wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, and tenacity. And so these go in the order that you had presented uh, with regards to project, Kevin, sort of com- from conception to to completion. So please jump in there. Yeah. And so wonder is asking the necessary questions. And if you don't have wonder, you might come up with two invention. You might be coming up with solutions and inventing solutions to things, but then you realize that you've come up with a solution that there's no, no one was asking this question, or maybe it wasn't the right question. So, so people who are real inventors have to be kind of careful that that they're also with people who are great at wonder, at kind of honing in on what's the main question here? What's this like? What's the best that this project could be? What's the need it's really meeting? What's the best job it can do for people? So that get the question right. That's wonder. Second step then in in actually inventing is to come up with creative solutions, and then that's that's what the creation phase is all about. The crafting phase, as I put it, is the project is crafted in a couple of ways. One is that you need someone then with, who's good at discerning the what is a good solution from what, what needs a tweak. How do you improve on it? And so the discerners love being able to analyze these things and then see how to improve them in some way and how to, and how to tweak them. So they craft it from that angle. Like, how do we improve elements of this project? How do we hone it? The galvanizers are more about crafting the team around it. How do we get this in the team? And then they're good at 
finding the right people for the right parts of the project, and they're good at giving energy to activate the project. So like, okay, now let's actually start making this happen. That leads then to the completion phase of actually accomplishing work. And then the two he mentions, like you said, are enablement and tenacity. So enablement is basically pitching in to lend a hand as is needed, making yourself available. People who are great at that love being available for things and helping people to solve the problems that come up, whatever they might be. So a lot of times you'll see these people called um, a factotum. So that this is the kind of person who just loves getting in and then solving all the problems. And, and, and so it is, you can find people who are just a genius in these factotums who love doing what it takes to, to help someone out or help make something happen. And then tenacity is all the finishing details. They, you know, they love finishing things and seeing, seeing it through. Um, I remember, you know, Sharif, his, his, his strength is tenacity. And I remember, you know, we were working on this, um, long project, this long writing project, you know, and then we were going to go through and it was like, I don't know, it was a lot of text and he loved just, he's like, no, I'm just going to work away at doing the, the spell checking and the grammar checking and all that. And I'll just, you know, every Saturday I'll put in an hour on this. He loved doing that kind of thing where you just, you know, like you, that would have, for me, that would have been much harder. Um, but some people are just great. They love you know, finishing everything off, getting it perfectly across the finish line. And they're detail oriented. So Kevin, you know, you had you had mentioned one of Sharif's strengths. We as a team did this as well. So we all got our respective areas of genius or frustration. I suppose the question then that the listener probably has is, okay, say so they go, they take this quiz, they get their areas of genius, they get their areas of frustration. You know, one of the questions that they maybe have is, okay, so what do I do with this information? Do I try and then double down on my areas of genius? Do I take a step back and say, okay, let me try and shore up my areas of frustration? What is the action to take, uh, if any? I know it's an intentionally broad question, so I'd love to, to get I can tell you Lencioni's answer is, if you're spending more than half of your time in areas that are areas of frustration, you are going to be frustrated. And so... Uh, if so, so for me, for instance, galvanizing was one of my frustration points. Is my main frustration point. So if I was needing to get people energized and moving all the time, it would just and that was like more than half my job. I would end up being more frustrated, even if it's on a project that I think is really meaningful and I'm really committed to. And in that sense, the model really does ring true to my. You know, when I'm doing like invention is one of my greatest uh, skill, and. I, you know, I love content creation. I love coming up with things. I love reading things and coming up with novel ways of applying them. And all of that really does speak to invention. And I can tell that I need a good part of that my day, every day to somehow involve that kind of creative work, you know, and then I get really energized by doing that. So not everyone will be like that, but, I, but you know, when it comes to creating new content and writing and reading through things, but if it is, you get a lot of joy from doing it. So I found this model isn't really about changing things. They're not trying to say, you know, what we have to do is take your main frustration and make it into a strength. I think, though, that frustration points can be areas of huge growth. That we might not have yet learned the strategies needed 
to really bring that skill out in us. And Lencioni has no real theory about human nature and about how these things, how permanent are they? Obviously, when you take the test, what you're doing is you're ranking things, the kinds of situations you prefer or don't prefer. But it doesn't necessarily have to be permanent, but it does accurately you know, kind of show where you are now. Does that kind of fit with your experience taking the test? I think that's right. I think that's right. Truth be told for, for the listeners, I, I took the test and then I got the results. And at first blush, I was a little underwhelmed. I was sort of like, eh. But I, I told myself, I was like, let it percolate and then come back to it. And then afterwards, after I came back to it, and then actually after I saw the scores for for you and Sharif as well, it actually made a lot more sense. It, it resonated and it said, I can see how each of us is happiest doing certain types of things and perhaps more prone to frustration doing other sorts of things. And what I liked about this was, at least for me, it, it sort of broadened our aperture a little bit. Oftentimes we're thinking about ways that we can individually grow, um, how challenges can bring out the best of in, in us. And of course, it's always relationally right through our bonds and, and love and service. But I liked looking at this from a sort of team perspective and then asking like, what's what's really strong in our team? What's missing from our team? What can we do to bring other people into it and, and strengthen us? So that's a long way of saying, yes, Kevin, I think, I think it did resonate with me. Um, yeah, it's true. When you see how it fits in the team, it's a much more complete picture. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then let's go back to the question. Let's let's dive in and make sure we're we're doing our um, our masterclass participant uh, uh, justice here. So there was one line in particular. Of course, I understand that the concern with labels doesn't open people to growth and that we need to continue to see how we can challenge ourselves and grow regardless of what we face. And then parenthetically, we don't want to create self-fulfilling prophecies after all. So coming back to that point, are you are you saying that really behind all this, you're, you would encourage us to look behind the labels, look at the skills, look at the cultivation of these skills? And then the other question, I'm going to make it a little bit more difficult. It seems like the way that someone would wrestle with this is going to differ potentially according to where they are in their careers. I know you mentor college students and perhaps graduate students. The way that they would wrestle with this may look different than someone who's been in the workforce for 20 years. Let me let me get your reactions to, to both of those. Yeah. So I think that the to speak to the second one first, uh, the the way people progress in their careers has a lot to do with the skills they're able to, to be utilizing. And it can often happen that people will be in a um, job where they're thriving and doing very well and they love it and it's meaningful and joyful. And then they do so well, they get promoted. But now in the new job, once they're promoted, they no longer have the work that speaks to these skills, these geniuses that they have. And maybe the new job involves a lot of things of frustration. So, and in that case, it's very, I think this, this model is helpful so that they're able to understand the transition that took place. And why suddenly do I not like my work after I got this promotion? Or after my job changed, some like you know, I started working on a new project. I think that the ultimate aim of this kind of stuff is to help us be more understanding with ourselves and with our teammates, so that we can see that 
there are areas and, and that we love growing in and exercising. Maybe there are areas where we would go into flow much more naturally. The, there are also going to be areas where it's tougher, and these are like naturally points that we find frustrating. Well, I think just understanding that it, this is an area where I tend to get frustrated can make people a little more patient with themselves when it happens. They can see it's okay for this to be hard. I don't have to be good at every single skill of bringing a whole project to completion. I'm going to have my areas where I kind of, where my, where my strengths shine the most. And then other people have their areas and I have to work with them. The interesting thing about this model is also that no, you can't have all six be kind of, and that's, in, their, in their experience, that's never how it worked out. They said occasionally some people would say three would be their kind of their, they'd have three preferred geniuses. But even then, when they really got down to it, they, he said, and you ask him what really gives you joy and energy when you do it, it comes down to two. I think that's right. You know, that there are going to be just a couple areas where you really do get joy and energy from it. So I'm not sure if I fully addressed your first question there, but. No, that's, that's okay. The, you know, we do get people, especially when they reach out either for, for coaching or just for conversations. Oftentimes there's an element of job discernment that's taking place. Are they in the right place? Should they go somewhere else? Or perhaps they're about to go somewhere else. Um, and oftentimes I tell them, I'm like, listen, it's not my job to say one way or another where you should or shouldn't go. But what I hope to to offer them is the ability to discern from a position of strength, right? Which is to do the absolute best you can be doing in that particular situation. And then from there, I think the the discernment becomes just a little bit more clear. Do you think that without maybe even understanding or intending, perhaps I was trying to put people in a position where they could see whether or not they were in a zone of genius or or excellence and not, and then allow them to discern from there or hopefully, yeah. Cause hopefully you're asking people to be reflecting on where they were thriving in work and what, what kind of work were they doing? And what was that like? I think what we're much more likely to do in optimal work is also to ask people, you know, when did your work connect most with your ideals? So when did it feel like it was the most meaningful? And that you you could most easily bring the why you were doing something into how and what you were doing. That's getting at the same ideas, I think, because I think that the areas that are are areas of genius are the areas also where it's easiest to develop bonds with others while we're exercising it, and it's easiest to live our ideals while we're while we're while we're doing that. So I'm going to take a step back here. And I, I want to kind of just continue to prod at this a little bit. And I hope I hope you don't mind. You're always a great sport with these things, Kevin. You had said earlier on that these strengths are sort of manifestations of things that we had previously built skills in. And then therefore, we're, we're just enjoying things that we had previously cultivated and, and generated skills in. Allow me to, to push back a little bit hi hyperbolically, perhaps, just for the sake of conversation. Or am I to believe, Kevin, that we're not born with any particular natural inclinations from a personality perspective towards certain types of work? Um, are we really to believe that all of this is just sort of, hey, we just ended up on a certain journey of skill formation um, and that there there isn't a sort of personality dimension to it? How how would you respond to, to that? I would respond, Anders Ericsson, uh, 
may he rest in peace actually, but he, uh, in his book Peak, talks about this very thing. And he says that there are no inherent talents. That every case of someone being a prodigy, like a child prodigy, you can trace back and show that there is adequate practice but not just any kind of practice. There's adequate, really deliberate practice, shaping practice that took place from a very young age. So how people actually started getting momentum in skill development could be debated. You know, but the real growth in any skill comes through a process of people getting momentum. So how do you usually get momentum in things? Are there any areas in our life where we just have momentum? No. There always has to be something where you could find you were getting real traction, taking step after step after step, improving, solid step followed by solid step. Is there, are we born with traction? No. So attraction comes from having some kind of strategies. The strategy is your plan, how you're going to be, be tackling this. And is anyone born the strategies? No. So there, so I don't see how, if you think of a skill, the actual life of a skill is a kind of momentum of growth in a particular direction. And then you trace it back. I never see anything that people can be born with in that. Well, maybe you could pause it in some, there's like some kind of fourth dimensional quality of, you know, of, I don't know, serendipity that you just more quickly get a momentum in some area. Okay, I, I could, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> as long as it's like, yeah, so maybe there's a little bit more momentum. It goes a little bit faster. Who knows? But I think in the end, what happened was that people internalized a certain way of strategizing and getting traction. And if they lost traction in a particular endeavor, they learned how to strategize again and get it back until they had really stable traction that gave them eventually forward momentum in that thing. And they just got better and better and better at it. And then, so you know, think of people who are, you know, could be playing hockey. It could be any kind of musical instrument. It could be any math. It could be whatever the skill might be. Whether or not wonder, discern, you know, and and invention and discernment and galvanizing these things, whether you can trace them back in young people, I'm not sure. Yeah, I I don't think so. My guess is that these kinds of things are higher order. You need to develop prefrontal cortex to really have. My guess is you wouldn't be able to really tell in children, nor should you try, until the prefrontal cortex, I think, is developed. But there might be certain activities we eventually find make it make people more um, like comfortable in the creative stage of things, or more in the tweaking crafting side, or you know, and and being able to craft things, or in loving to complete things. I mean, I would like to think that loving to complete things is something that's teachable. Yeah, it might always be a little tough for some people, though. But I don't. Know. So maybe I'm saying things on both sides. But how is that, Rashad? Is that a? Yeah, I, I. Well, you certainly. Not that I needed convincing, but it was certainly a compelling answer. I'm just trying to put myself in the the shoes of a listener who would say, "Well, hold on a second. That's not true. I just like to do this. I think I've always liked to do this. So how do I make sense of of this information?" Um, but no, I think that's right. You had mentioned, you kind of alluded to, we don't need to try and identify this in, say, children, right? Because they they need a little bit more development. That that's that's all fine and good. Did encountering 
this model or similar models? Has it been a helpful mental model for you working with university students or, or graduate students or even in your clinical practice? Do you find yourself applying it in different situations? How do you use this in practice? If, if at all. If, That's a if, great fact, question. I have not yet found it directly helpful for college students or uh, grad students. I think that it's more when people are choosing the kind of work that they have to do that th this kind of thing comes up. I don't think that these six skills would let you necessarily choose a profession because any type of professional path can involve any of the six and any combination of them. I think it's more about when you're looking for a job or wondering, why is my job so frustrating and why do I find it so hard, even though on paper it looks like a perfect match? That is when this thing is useful. So for people who uh, I haven't, you know, in the last uh, weeks, you know, uh, kind of getting into this model, I just haven't had the chance yet to, to really raise it with people in that setting. So to be perfectly honest, but my, my guess is that for college students, it's just, they're not going to be able to, you can't choose a, you know, grad program to go to, or you can't choose a career with it. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I will, I will say this, I have, you know, in, in my capacity as sort of co-host here, tried to prod around the edges of this. I, I will say that, um, if anything, it has provided, I think us as a team, the optimal work team with some, some helpful cues as to how we can distribute our work, where we should think about bringing on new teammates. And so uh, what I like about this too, is rather than ending up being sort of a label and making us feel stuck in any way, it actually has helped give us a little bit of energy and thinking about, okay, how do we round ourselves out? How do we continue to grow within ourselves or bring other people with particular strengths in? So in many ways, I think it's, it's quite liberating rather than sort of feeling like it's a, um, yeah. And you had, you had, uh, Katie take it as well, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I had my wife take it. Um, and, and no surprises, I think in, in the responses that, that we saw there. And, and for our listeners, my, my wife is amazing. And if she could have six areas of genius, she would have, um, but, <laughs> yes. but no high, high in, uh, m many of the key skills, I think that yeah. compliment me nicely. Do you think in your home life, you can see the impact of these different skills? Yeah, <laughs> I, okay. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, I have to, to tread me, very lightly here with yeah. what I say see, next. To, so. to, to me, that seems so <laughs> helpful sometimes like to be able to understand what as a couple, because the thing is that if there are six, each person can be really good at two. That means that at best, you're going to have two that no one is really good at, or at least you know, it could be you have some that are really frustrations. And so you kind of share it. And so I think it's helpful for couples to be understanding with each other. For a test that takes less than five minutes to take, it's surprisingly helpful Yeah, for in that kind of setting. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll go back and talk to Katie uh, with regards to that. Um, Kevin, before uh, we go on any further and I say anything that I, I have to later apologize to Katie for, um, I would say that this was has been a great conversation. We're nearly out of time. Do you have any parting thoughts for us? No, maybe just this idea that I'm always more interested in ideals than skills. So, and ideals can never be uh, turned, I think, they're not easily turned into traits and labels that people have for themselves. So, 
while as much as I like the idea that you know we can have these skills that we tend to be very into and get energized by, even that in the end, I think is more a function of ideals than particular skills. In the end, I think real joy, real energy comes from our work giving us an opportunity to be shaped into the kind of person we most want to be. So yes, there may be some areas then where you can find it's just easier. Yeah, and maybe it gives you other, you know, but I think in the end, we're not interested in easy. We're really interested in shaping. And what does it look like to have work that shapes you into the best version of yourself? And that's, I think, done by aiming deliberately for ideals in your work rather than necessarily just diagnosing what skills you have. Perfect. Thank you so much, Kevin. We'll be back next week. All right, Rashad. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.